Note Sessions. I'm Mike Shamil. And I'm Davin Mullen. And our guest today is educator, musician, and engineer, Mark Warner Hunt. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on tonight. Yeah, thank you for making some time for the show. So can you give our listeners at home uh, a little bit of rundown of what it's like to be a music educator in 2021? Uh, well, it's interesting about that right now because they've... Um, things have changed a, a bit um but it's exciting because there are it seems as though even though we had that that shutdown for a while the students actually are coming in and seem super excited and have specific goals in mind too of where they want to go um so it's been great every single day that now that we've back that we've been back in session with the students have they come back with a an appreciation of um having those resources in front of them again? Because I know there's a lot of really cool uh, pieces of home tech that you can use these days for recording. You know, I myself have a bunch of recording crap at home. But do they were they happy to come back into an environment where they had a really nice studio at their fingertips again? I think so. Um, there, there was a little bit of a pushback from them, though, when they use you know, the specific equipment that they have at, at home. And if we didn't have it in, in the classroom, you're like, well, I use this. And, you know, so I would have to have that conversation. It's like, well, that's great that you use, you know, FL Studios, for example. But, you know, when you're working at uh, a commercial studio, they're not going to necessarily be using that. And you may start your project with that, but you really need to make, you know, to force yourself to make the jump into another software or DAW, like, you know, Pro Tools, hopefully. Because uh, that's the one that most people are using, but obviously there's other ones out there, and I try to give them, you know, as much as possible, uh, not to overwhelm them, but to but to give them choices. So the computers do have FL Studio on there, even though I kind of have a little bit of an issue with it. But they also have Pro Tools, they also have Logic, they also have Reason, they also have uh, MPC on there. You know, so there's like. What do you want? A lot of variety, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's all there. Whatever you want, it's all there. So something we, we were talking about is educating during uh, lockdown and the, the suspension of having hands-on activities and the, the weird phenomenon of, of kids coming in in freshman year having about half a year of you know, a, a regular high school experience and, and coming back. Have you noticed uh, just with the students any sort of lasting effect of that? Do you think that missing out on those years is something that kind of knocks you off course a little bit or, is, or do you bounce back pretty quick from it, do you feel? Um, okay, so I, I, w I guess I would say tech-wise and academically, they seem about the same, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Socially, though, it's a different thing because you kind of have to teach them how to be in the classroom again, even though they're 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. You know, they haven't been in a class with someone next to them for a year and a half. So I have been doing a lot of, you know, almost like here's how you're 
you're you're an assistant engineer or something like that as opposed to you know trying to come down on them so i'm still giving them friendly reminders let's put it that way as opposed to coming down as like mr hunt's mad at us or whatever it's like not mad at anybody you know it's like i'm just trying to tell you like i would not be able to act that way at gcr or i would not be able to act that way at blackrock you know it's like we're not going to just we can't spin in the chairs or we can't Oh yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I mean? yes. Like normal, if you want to be employed here, whatever it is, McDonald's recording studio, you can't act that way, you know. Um, so there's just a little bit of that that that's going on, but they definitely seem interested. They seem glad to be back in the classroom. Um, super supportive and accepting of each other, which is great. Um, so it's, I mean, to me, it's been great so, so far. It's been the, you know, the first 10 weeks is ends up next week, uh, November 5th. And it's been a super fast quarter for sure in a good way. Beautiful. You know, that, so, that, oh, go ahead, Devin. So, you know, we're, we're talking about this, this interruption of studies and the coming back to what is more of a, a quote unquote normal process of socialization and learning it's interesting though because broadly speaking in entertainment and music and and engineering we're already seeing a lot of shifts and trends about how you engage with the work uh, we're seeing like the proliferation of independent studios of uh, really people working in this field having multiple career paths at the same time it's very rare that we have a guest on this uh, interview show that really is only doing one thing. Um, bearing that in mind, what do you think are some of the like enduring fundamental approaches to making it forward in this field that you try to impart on students? I think you have to show the client that you almost care more about their project than, than they do in a way that you have, a, you also have an, an emotional attachment to it um, and that you care about it and that you're there to help them make the record or the video that they want to make. There's a lot of times where people will, and I've heard this from, from friends of mine where they'll work with someone and they'll say, well, you have to play this. You have to use this amplifier because that's what I always use. Or, this is, these are the drums we have to use because this is what I use always. And it's like, no, you want to make the record that the person wants wants to make that was hiring you to, to, to do it. So for example, if you have an Americana band and they say, we want to make a, you know, a screamo band album, then that's the record you make with them. You know what I mean? I mean, you may be talking to them throughout the takes and mixing everything saying like, I'm not really sure why you want to do this or whatever, but let's, let's make it happen, you know, but ultimately you want to make their record that they want to make. Um, so I think being in the artist corner the whole time is good. I also think challenging yourself with things, putting yourself out into areas where maybe you're not as tech savvy or you don't know those skills yet and force yourself to constantly learn those skills, that's going to help you. And I also think if you have some knowledge or skills in other parts of the entertainment business, let it be promotions, you know, web design, video, whatever it is, those things can also help you generate more work with those clients that you just spent X amount of hours with working on their album, you know? 
or maybe spend X amount of hours working with them, putting their web page up, and now they need something recorded. And if you can do it, then that's great. But just having multiple uh, talents, I guess, or multiple um, things that you can produce for these people, I think is very helpful. So um, on the whole, we're kind of faced with um, an interesting proposition there because like like we're, we're saying here, you do need to have a, an array of skills. It's not frankly just good enough to know how to engineer. It's not frankly good enough to just know how to play guitar because, you know, there are over 7 billion people on the planet. There's probably someone who can do it the best and the likelihood that it's you is very small. Right. Um, on the flip side, access to resources to, to programs like the, the ones that are put on by BOCES, they make uh, entry into these fields, into these uh, fields of knowledge a lot easier. On, on the whole, comparing, you know, now sort of learning how to create and work in, in music and sound and, and entertainment, do you think it's easier now or that the, the challenges have just changed? I think the challenges just changed because I don't know if it's easier. I'm going to say it's harder now. And the reason I'm going to say it's harder now is because uh, technology is so easy to acquire. You know, like when I was in high school, so we're talking 86 through 1990, it's like if people wanted to do commercials, you know, where would they do them? They would have to go to like select sound or something, right? Yeah, like select sound, or they'd have to go to, you know, they'd have to hire Channel 2 to produce the commercial for them, or they'd have to go to, um, you know, any of the other ad agencies that are down. I know there, there used to be one on the corner of, like, Maine and, and uh, Chippewa, and then there's full circle studios on Main Street or whatever, too, right? And it's kind of like there was all that stuff where it's like, this is kind of like the standard. But now if you have someone who's talented and has a good eye, like they can get away with, I don't want to say you're not getting away with anything, but, but they can do like a really good job with not as much technology. And there's more people that are more interested in that every day. You know, like you have pe people that are, um, you know, they've got great studio spaces, in, in, in their houses, you know, or they have um, a great eye for, for video and they've got some great equipment on, on hand. You know so, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so I, I think it's changing in the sense where it could be sometimes seen as almost like it's oversaturated. You know, it's like, oh, you're not an engineer? I thought everybody was an audio engineer. You know, it's where, where you think about, um, again, the 80s, it's like, oh, you're not in a band? Everyone's in a band. It's like, it's, you know, it was, it was more like the minority weren't, weren't in a band, you know, and it's like everyone's in a band. You're right about so, um, having to cultivate your skills um, in a lot of directions. And, and I think in addition to that, you definitely have to work on being um, more adept because even in, even in the world of radio, when I worked in radio a few years ago as my main gig, um, we would send salespeople out with a Zoom H1 hooked up to an SM58, and they would go out to get the raw audio from their client reading their, their spot, and then that would get sent back to the editor back at the station. 
And, you know, now as an engineer, you're, even if you're starting your own small studio, you're competing with stuff like that. You're right. Like that technology has sort of made things in a sense, a little too convenient because now you have to show clients, Hey, yeah, you could totally take your zoom H1 and an SM58 and you'll get something great, but I can get you something better than that. That's going to get you a better you know spot on the air. Yeah. But you know what else is different too? I think, which is good, is that it seems like that community of video or audio is more supportive now than what you than what it used to be. If that makes sense, like was I think it there more was cutthroat back in back in the old days than it is now, or might have been more. There might have been more like trash talk or whatever back in those. It was just like, and I'm not saying any of these people were the ones that did it, but like when it was basically select sound, audio magic track master you know and there was also mark custom studios obviously which is still around but it was that wasn't like there was all these other engineers producers videographers that you know were setting up production spaces in their homes or renting like a small area or something you know where you'd hear like, oh you went to him ah he's terrible you know it seems like it seems more like now there's what do you need done you should go to this person you know, or, Hey, let me see if I can call this person and help, help me do it with you or, or whatever it is. It's now it seems like it's a little more supportive. Well, I, I think that's part of, you know, broader strokes, which are happening and not, you know, not to shoot off in the politics or anything, but generally speaking, I think entertainment is being recognized as an actual facet of labor and people who are really immersed in the field are, are recognizing that and sort of recognizing that people who are, you know, also working with you aren't necessarily like, you know, the enemy of the competition. Like there are people who are gonna be able to, through the sort of quasi barter economy that sometimes shows up in, in this field, support you and help you get your project done. I know uh, one of our earliest guests, uh, Denny Crumbless, uh, spoke of this. Um, it's it's really interesting. I mean, we, we have that news about uh, what had happened on the uh, the set of Rust, and that's kind of, you know, the dead center in discussions about worker safety on, on film sets and everything. So I, I, I think you might be on to something with that. Um, to, to step out of uh, education world, for a second. I, I wanted to hear about the the music projects and engineering projects you're working on currently. What's what's exciting? Uh, what should we at home keep an eye out for? Sure. Um, well, I've got, I've I recorded four new songs with Roger Bryan in The Orphans and he's been received, he's been releasing those once a month or every other week right now. He's released two of them so far. Uh, he's got two more that are gonna be released in the upcoming weeks. Uh, then I've been working with Gathering Ground on their new EP of, of three new songs with their full, full band. Uh, the drummer is actually the drummer from Piebald, which is pretty cool for sure. And then Blaine, who used to play bass, he's now playing guitar along with Ed. And then Patrick is, is on bass. Um, we just finished up mixing Chelsea O'Donnell's Str Stress Dolls record. And uh, she sent the masters to me the other day, which it sounds really cool. Uh, another record by a band called At the Helm is coming up, and that's a uh, you know great songs, great har harmonies, like really musical group. 
um, great live. And uh, then there's just been some others, you know, small things here and there. But uh, th there's a lot of great music in, in the city. There, there always ha has been. And, um, you know, when you see your friends posting stuff or you see them playing live, it's like, you know, I, I just want to get him back in the studio, who, whoever it is. You know, if it's, you know, I saw Josh uh, Heatley was posting about the the pavers getting back together and maybe doing some some music. And I did a couple of recordings with, with the pavers and I sent him a message, you know, within like five seconds. Like, let me know when you want to go in. I'm ready to go. But there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I think the density of things you have going on right now is sort of, uh, it's reflective of the career you've had. I mean, we didn't really run the gamut of every project you've been involved in for the past few decades, but you're uh, a member of the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame. You've worked with Disney, uh, worked with Villa Maria, Bosey's currently. Uh, you know, you have connections at ESPN. It, it seems like there are just nets kind of being haphazardly whipped all over the place here. My, my it's question. Buffalo connection, you know, it's like that Western New York connection. It's what true. It. It's, it's a real thing. My, my question is someone who, who really has seemed to have made a really good life of, of working in, in music and, and sound and entertainment in general. Do you have a sense that you've you've arrived at where you've been driving at, or are are there still other places you want to go? Is, is the journey certainly not over at this point? Um. Okay. Well, I, I guess I'll have to answer it a couple couple ways. So, let's say as a a musician, I think there there has been that that sense. You know, in this in the sense where it's like, okay, like I'm starting to get better shows now. Um, you know, you can kind of pick and choose the shows. So at that point, I would say, like, you know, I'm content there, you know. Uh, I don't think I'm the best at it by any means, you know, or think that there's no way to, 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 to grow. But if we look at shows, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like I like the shows that we're playing. We've got a good crowd. We've got a good set list. Um, I like the music, all the musicians that are in, in the bands, you know, like as friends and care about them all. <clears throat> As an engineer, pr producer, you know, in all honesty, I'm all at any time I listen to something, I'm always like, ah, I wish I could go back and just, you know, tweak that hi hat or whatever. And then I hear things that I did, you know, 15 years ago or whatever on, you know, the BNY vocal show. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. You know, there's something that I didn't really like. And I, I like what I do, you know, but like when I listen back to it in my car, my headphones, I'm always like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just, and then, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't know, you know, because the band is usually like, that's exactly how I wanted it. But uh, I always think I could, I could grow more with that. And with, with technology changing and, you know, programs or workflows of the DAWs, like there's always, I think, room to grow in, in that aspect. Um, and then lastly, I guess, just as an, educator that's like, that's almost like a day-to-day -day thing you know it's like well today was terrible you know and then or it's like you know today was great and it's not necessarily because of the students it's more of like you look at the students faces as you're trying to teach a lesson or something you're like wow this is really a bad lesson or 
oh, this is a really good one, or this is in the middle, or whatever, you know. So definitely not there yet as an ed, as an ed educator, you know, but trying every day for sure. What's a, the hardest thing to to really portray to your students at this point? Um, hmm. like, is there a particular lesson that seems to be the harder to deliver to them? You know what? It's not even like the computer part of the, of, of the class. That's, that's the hardest part that the hardest part is like having them realize that it's such a social business that they kind of have to master that first. You know, knowing that you're going to like make mistakes, you're going to say something unfortunately that might offend somebody here and there or whatever. And you shouldn't like own up to, to, to that. You should always like own up to something if you do do that. But um, let me sum it up with what Robbie Konikoff, who was the owner for Audio Magic, told me when I was interning for him. And he said that the business is 90% social, 10% tech, technical. And I always thought to him, like, what are you talking about? Like, there's this council here. There's always microphones. What, what do you mean? And he was 100% correct. It's like, it's really about your interpersonal skills, how you carry yourself, how you listen to other people, um, how humble you are, you know, like knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. Like, that's what's going to get you successful. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily miking up the drum set or any of that other stuff. I mean, that's obviously, that's all good too. You know, like that's part of it. But if people don't want to be in the room with you for five minutes, let alone five hours or five days, it doesn't matter how you mic up that, that drum set. And that's kind of like the hardest thing that I have to tell my students. I think that's like the hardest lesson that they learn is just not, not realizing that. And I think most of it is because of their age and at the age and the time of their life that they're in right now, they're just so like, centered around them themselves that they're not looking down the road yet or seeing like other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause they're young and they're trying to figure out, you know, where they want to be in life. And so that's right. the thing that's on their mind. Where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do next? You know, how am I going right. to have that life that I picture in my head? Right. And they're not, they're, they're, they're not being rude or anything. They just don't have that like, those soft skills yet that you would have in like a professional workplace. You know what I mean? Like if you walk into, you know, a news station or a video production house or, you know, recording studio, like you're not going to see everyone just sitting around with their feet up on subwoofers on, on their phone, but it's not going to, you know what I mean? Like they're going to be working with clients or they're going to be cleaning the studio or, they're going to be getting ready for a show or they're going to be cleaning up after themselves or whatever it is. I mean, it's impossible to walk in the outer world if the inner world's uncharted. After yeah. I, I get it. Um, so let, let's see. What what else did we cover? And I, I bring it to you. Shamil, help me out here. Um, we, know, we talked about a variety of things, but I'm going to steer things for a moment into your career as a bass player? Because we've talked about a lot of the really interesting technical and educational stuff. But we haven't explored Mark as the musician. Um, right now, I believe you play uh, with Allison Pipitone and Rabbit Jaw. Tell us about, about your music from the point of view of Mark the Musician. Hmm. 
Well, um, so I guess my influence is growing up. My, that would be the first place to start, I guess. And, uh, and it, when I listen to some of the stuff that I used to play uh, early on, when I say the stuff I used to play, I mean like bass lines I would come up with. Like I was, you could tell that I was influenced by Simon Gallup from, from The Cure. You could tell that I had more of like an influence of like Tommy Stinson and obviously Ramones or whatever. As I've gotten older, for whatever reason, I seem to encompass more of like the Didi Ramon side of things, as opposed to like trying to play the, 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 the melodic bass lines. And I think that's because two couple of things. One is, you know, if you're playing on stage and things take a turn, not for the worst, but it, it takes a turn where it's like the song of, or the, the song arrangement changes for some reason, you know, um, trying to be more of that, that steady bassist, you know, locking in with the drummer, and supporting the singer and the guitar player opposed to, hey, I'm the bass player and I do this like cool line here. And it's like, yeah, it is a cool line, but is it needed to be done right now? You know? Um, so I guess just kind of like doing a little, a little more picking and choosing, I guess, of like when to do that kind of stuff. So just but, you know, focusing on getting into the pocket and then waiting for that opportunity where it's your turn to kind of show off your your talents and and you know throw a lick in there or something is that that kind of yeah, what you mean? Yeah, yeah, just trying to be more of like that support group. You know what I mean? Like like really locking in with the, the drummer. When I play with Pat Shaughnessy with Allison, he and I, you know, we always lock in t- together. Um, and we always have when we played in Bobo as you know t- together we were we were super you know tight and kind of helped Frank and Jimmer kind of do their thing you know but it's like Pat and I were kind of like the train that kept going down the track now when you were younger and you were first starting out as a musician did you find yourself going to places like the continental and going I want to become a musician that looks so cool or were you already just banging away and that's kind of where you, you know, followed the music? You know what? It was, um, it was really bizarre because I went to St. Joe's and at that time, St. Joe's had live bands play their dances. So when we would go to those St. Joe's dances, it would be the Ramrods, the Real Wigs, the Great Train Rob- Robbery, the Moment, Nullstat, Electroman, um, you know, Electra and I'm Man there. playing in high schools. Well, yeah, wow. Man, yeah. they played in a, in a high school and um, Google Dolls played at Mount St. Mary's actually back in 86. And that was like legendary for me, you know, because it was like this whole thing like, oh my God, they're not open up for the Ramrods. That's like it's flip flopped. All of a sudden, like, there's been this flip flop of like, no, these guys are the headlines. You're, you're the opening band, whatever. And, um, you know, seeing local bands, I think, is what made me want to do it. You know, and, and um, originally I was a guitar player. Um, and, like, the band was Tony Brock from Johnny Reap Revolting, Brandon Delmont from uh, Girl Pope, um, Pat Lyons, who is no longer with us, but he was in a band called Museum Spirit for a while. Um, <clears throat> Richie Campania. And then, you know, then up for whatever reason, I started playing bass. You know, it was one of those things like, we don't have a bass, we don't have a bass player. Who's going to do it? It's like, I'm not going to, oh, I guess I'm going to do it. You know, like, <laughs> not it. <laughs> oh, wait. I guess I, I am it. 
<laughs> so it was that. And then, yeah, of course, like going to see shows at uh, River Rock, you know, so going to see like seven, seven, seven seconds at River Rock or The Exploited or, um, you know, going to see the bands of the, the Continental. And luckily we did start getting booked there, you know, Bud didn't realize how young we were when he when he when when he booked us there. Like he, when I talked to him now, he's like, "You were 15." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "I gave you guys a case of beer." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. Thank you." <laughs> I know you guys. Are that young. Oh yeah, but yeah, you know, like playing there and the adventure club was cool. But just like you know, seeing all those, you know local bands that you looked up to you know that I, I looked up to like those those are my rock stars in a way you know like i didn't see any difference between them and the cure or echo and the bunnyman or any of that but to me that was the same thing it was just a different group you know i was like yeah this is it like this is what i want to do and listening to their music i was always blown away like how are you playing the rhythm guitar and soloing at the same time like I didn't understand the whole overdub process, you know, at 14. That can be kind of magical. Yeah. yeah. Is that magic still with you today, Mark? Oh yeah, of course. Yes. Yes. See, that's the kind of stuff I, I always want to hear because it's so easy in this industry to get, to let yourself get jaded, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it a little bit. Sometimes, sometimes I just get so like, like, pissed off about things that i'm just like oh why am i into this crap it drives me crazy but you know there is still that like magical bit that's just cop like, oh, but we're like doing cool things i'm pulling ideas out of my head and people are now listening to it and yeah. I, I i'm glad to hear that you still have that fire within you yeah you know when the whole pandemic hit like i was I, this didn't work out the way i wanted it to i mean it worked out but it didn't work out the way i wanted to but i was you know, always think about Oh, if I had time, I could go downstairs and, you know, write some music and blah, 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 blah. But it's like that time always isn't there. And it's not because you don't want to be there, but it's because like, you know what? I'd rather watch a movie with Shane or I'd rather like, let's sit on the couch with the dogs or let's go, let's go down and, you know, go to this restaurant or, or, or something. But when we were all locked away, I'm like, I'm going to try to write a song a, a week, you know? And I put it out there and because uh, I don't write lyrics, I can't sing. And I, so I put out this thing on, on Facebook. Hey, does anyone want to uh, collaborate with stuff? So it actually ended up being not a song a week, but um, Maria, Sebastian, and I have been like collaborating. We've done a couple releases already, which have turned out pretty cool. And we're going to do some more stuff. But it's just like, it's so bizarre because it's very much like I just bang it out. I send it to her. She sends me her lyrics back. Great. All set. You know, it's like there's really no, like, edit process. Is that under uh, Adam Insult and the injuries? Yeah. Yeah. Listen That's to some awesome. of it uh, before the interview. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, the track very much like, you know, if she says, hey, can you extend this chorus or something? Like that, you know, of course. But I just kind of like, this song's a minute long. I'm like, yep. That's punk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Or she'll say, this song, I'm going to say the same five words over again. Okay. You know, it's cool. Beautiful. That, that is super cool. We're, we're just about out of time. Uh, Devin, did you have any final questions for our guest today? 
Um, th this will be a bit of a, a departure, but I, I feel like maybe you'd be a, a good guest to, to speak on it. Not, not everyone who watches our episodes at home uh, necessarily was alive for the, uh, the run of this particular venue, but it's one that sort of exists in story and has a legendary status in uh, Buffalo music history. I was wondering, Mark, if you could tell us a little bit about, about why the, the Continental comes up so often as as a venue well i i can tell you why i think it comes up you know so often um bud redding would be like one of the main guys to, to talk to for sure about that but i think what the reason that comes up so much is because it was one of the main places it wasn't one of the first places but it was one of the main places that allowed original music and and promoted the uh original music but also had a dance floor upstairs obviously for all like the the new wave and, and punk stuff and that was really i think the first draw to to the place but then they would have you know electro man and the other local groups playing but they would also have um you know well-known groups coming in here and and playing be before they got big like i um a friend of mine told me that Cindy Lauper played there before, like, you know, uh, what's that? She's so, uh, whatever girls just want to have fun. Like that, like that, that she was playing there right before that broke and, um, Jet generation X playing there, you know, and the band X playing there and just, you know, almost like Mohawk, I guess, in, in, in a way, but at the time, there weren't other clubs like that really i mean there was mcvans right but that was knocked down at some point and that was on like the corner of hurdle and uh niagara street i definitely the way you're talking about it though i definitely do think a mohawk place like kind of having that that, that good mixture of local and, and national coming through yeah what was interesting about the continental too though was the headliners would go on first. So the headliner would go on at like midnight and then the support bands would go on after the fact, you know? So when you would play there, whoever was the, the booking agent. So again, at the time, Bud Redding was the one that, that, that would book us there. He'd say, all right, I've got an opportunity for you. What's that? How about Thursday night, 2 a.m.? Okay. And then if you did well, you know, Thursday at 2 a.m., maybe you'll get a 1 a.m. slot. And then after you did well there, then maybe you would, you know, headline on a Thursday. And then they would move you to the, okay, you get 3 a.m. on Friday. And that would just you would kind of move you up that way, you know, so it wasn't like you would play first. You know, it's like, no, you play last. And hopefully you have people that are going to stick around because if you don't, then you're not necessarily going to play there again, which was, I thought was really <laughs> kind of bizarre, but. It's interesting trial by fire. Kind of. Yeah. Also brutal. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you don't see too too many shows going until like 4 a.m. tonight. I, I just don't yeah. have the end. That was, old, you know. Yeah, that yeah. was tough. I remember I would, well, I was, when I would play the, the kind of with Evil Rufus K, it would be the same kind of a thing where it's like, I would go home, I would set my alarm and I would get up at one and head on down there to play our show and then come back, whatever. 
and what was what was kind of like annoying about it, I guess, is that it's like I was going to school in Boston at the time. In Boston, it was like show starts at seven and shows over by eleven o'clock p.m. or or, or midnight, at the very latest, because the bars closed in Massachusetts by two. You know, they're not open until four. Good but. job. <laughs> I've lived in places like that, and I was like, man, why is everyone drinking so hard? It's only like 11 o'clock, and it's like, oh, they're like trying to drink before the bell rings. I get yeah. so accustomed to that like late drinking hour that, it, you know, Buffalo, it's like you can really pace yourself and take your time. But, yeah, but I guess on the flip side, when it comes to music, yeah, like playing at, you know, 2, 3 a.m., I've done that before. Yeah. It sucks, you know, and it is harder to keep people at the venue because – they're either drunk as hell or they're tired as hell or both. So yeah. it's like, it's a lot of work to really like, you know, keep him excited and, you know, interested. So, wow. Right. And now when you get shows, it's like, what time are we going? Noon. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and with, that, with, with that more prosperous uh, present, where we go on at noon instead of 3 a.m., Shmuel, why don't you take us out for this interview? All right. Well, thank you, everyone at home, for watching. And thank you, Mark, for spending some time with us. This has thank been you. the Eighth Note Sessions. I'm Mike Shamil. And I'm Davin Mullen. And our guest today was Mark Warner Hunt. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for watching, thank everyone. You. Here's an excerpt from the song Building Something Here by Adam Insult and the Injuries. The Eighth Note Sessions are produced by Music is Art. Our co-hosts are Devin Mullen and Michael Shamil. Editing by Michael Shamil. The Executive Director is Tracy Fletcher. Our Program Director is Sarah Elizabeth Shaw. You can help programs like this keep going by donating today at musicisart.org. Thanks for listening.